Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to inform and equip the members of Harvest Church, as well as celebrate what God is doing in and through our body. All right, Harvest, welcome back to another episode of the Harvest Beyond Sunday podcast. We are, uh, this This is the last formal episode of a chapter of the book. We'll, we'll kind of record one more, wrap up, and maybe discuss some questions and different thoughts. But this is the, the last chapter, chapter 12, and we are... Um, we we have the same crew here, Sonia and Noah, but we also have a special guest, Mr. Mike McCaskill, uh, elder at Harvest Church, one of my favorite older men. I think about uh, when I when I want to be older. There's a lot of men here at Harvest that I'm like I want to emulate that guy. Mike McCaskill is one of them. So, um, or maybe Sonia for you. Maybe there's an older woman you want to emulate. Okay, you know you gave I'm me the look. I'm like, just saying you're picking up on Noah's bad habits. We we have <laughs> we have moved past these descriptive old, adjectives. I, I didn't say he was you know, old. I just said he was older, yeah, older than me. Yeah. It took us know? all season. It, all Wes, season. Come on. Noah and I are buddies now. Yeah, that's right. It took we've us all. Reconciled. Yeah. We've, yeah. He's in the jailhouse now. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. We are glad you're here. Why don't you start off by just telling the audience a little bit about yourself and, and your professional work, what, you, what you've done, and then we'll dive into the content. Okay, well, so listen, I really appreciate uh, being here. Uh, I do listen in. You guys do a great job. Uh, cover some unbelievable material. Uh, older? <laughs> uh, you are older. <laughs> yeah. You okay. are older than me. Okay, I, okay. I, I admit that. But not old. Is that why they call me elder? Yes, that's exactly elder. right. Yeah, yeah I get <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I do have the privilege of serving here at Harvest as an elder. I serve with some of the greatest men that I've ever met. Uh, have uh, been able to go on a mission field with Wes. Uh, probably one of the greatest uh, experiences I've had. Uh, didn't really know you, Wes, at that time, but I've gotten to know you and know your heart for the gospel and getting the gospel out. Uh, I was saved uh, when I was a teenager. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, matter of fact, he died as an alcoholic. Uh, at one time, he uh, was an atheist, but uh, so I didn't have the privilege of being raised in a in a Christian home. I got saved uh, when I was a teenager and met my wife. We got married. I was nineteen; she was eighteen. Uh, so we got married uh, off a of young. We had two kids. Uh, I have a daughter that lives here in Collierville now, and my son uh, was a youth pastor. <coughs> excuse me, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and he died. Uh, of a brain tumor when he was 26. So, but he finished well and we praise God that he's in heaven. Uh, I've, uh, I've been involved in, uh, three different businesses. Uh, I'll probably just talk about a couple of them today, not the last one, but a couple of them. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's good to be here. Thanks. Wait a minute. The last one is the one that no one knows what it is. Yeah. Well, that's YOLO. Oh, I thought. No, I thought the last one was being a lumper. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I, I was never was a lumper. 
You were I, what? I hired lumpers. You hired lumpers. Yeah. Okay. Do you All know right. what a lumper is? No, you have to. Well, you've told me, but I still can't define it. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what what what, a, is, what that is? Okay. So I didn't know either. Uh, I was in the investment business. A guy came to me and asked me if I'd be interested in starting a lumping business, and I was like a calf looking at a new gate. I mean, I just had no clue what he was talking about when he said lumper, you know. And uh, come to find out, back in the back in the day, uh, men would unload ships and they they would uh, pull barrels off the ships and they would develop a lump on their back, so they called them lumpers. Uh, our day now, a lumper's a freight handler, somebody who. Uh, unloads ocean containers or domestic loads or even rail cars. And so I started a lumping business. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I get it. I guess I think you're uh, unloading stuff, but you, so you had a, must've had a, a yard downtown or someplace. Cause that was here in Memphis yeah, where all this, this freight could come in. Was mm-hmm. it coming in off the river and off the railroad and off trucks and all that? And, Come, and you had to have it organized. It's almost like FedEx ground. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> ground and quite. water and all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, we actually uh, we landed a national contract with Cisco Foods. Cool. And so uh, in that, uh, we ended up being the largest uh, unloading service that they had. We had three different vendors. We were the largest. We had about 60 or 70 of their major distribution centers from Alaska to Miami and everything in between. So we actually did uh, business at their facility. We just provided the labor. And so every day we would have anywhere from 30 to 70 men show up at any given place to unload their freight. I don't ever remember that being a, on a questionnaire of, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a list in high school and like lumping being yeah. one of the one of the things. So yeah. that's, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit, Mike. Let's dive into the content because we want to hear how, uh, you, you know, your faith has been integrated into what you've done professionally and, and just hear more about your your story and your narrative because that encourages us all when we hear from different um, guests about how their faith and their work is is has been melded together uh, from a success standpoint from a failure standpoint so this chapter is called a, a new power for work and it's really about passion it's about you know the holy spirit it's about um, motives it's about a lot of things and so the the scripture verse for this is colossians three twenty three. noah you want to read that for us sure thing wes and uh and i'll actually read verse 24 as well because it really fleshes out um what verse 23 says so uh, colossians three twenty three and 24 whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ. Uh, and this is a verse that y'all may remember we talked about uh, with Amy Shreve last episode when she was talking about working for and under an audience of one, working with the Lord uh, as your as your focus and as the one whom you're aiming to please. So we'll kind of flesh that out more this episode. Yeah, thanks, Noah. So the book starts off with defining the work under the work. And basically what that means is, you know, where are our... Um, where are we finding our significance? 
what is the why behind our work? And so from there's a quote that says, for many of us, being productive and doing becomes an attempt at redemption. That is, through our work, we are trying to build our worth, our security, and our meaning. And so there's this idea of, we've talked about some uh, on the earlier episodes, where there's a we're finding a sense of ourself through productivity and success. Uh, rather than you know letting Christ define our identity, Christ defining our passion, our motivation for work, and that's what Colossians, you know, three twenty three says that you know when we're working, we work as unto the Lord, as if we're working for Christ and and not for men. That we are in this you know job, where whatever He's called us to do, as we've talked about, you know, we're in here uh, grinding away. Because we recognize that God is a working God, Christ has done the finished work on the cross, and we have a purpose and a passion here on this earth. Basically, we're trying to allow Christ to define our our passions and our motivations as we work unto the Lord. And so um, we just have to be careful, because if we don't allow Christ to uh, put the wind in our sails for our work, then it can lead to a pointless grind. We can just be motivated by worldly things and just become uh, very secular and worldly and even, you know, depressed uh, as we just fight to find our significance and value in our work rather than in Christ. And so, um, but the gospel frees us from all that. And, and so, Mike, did you ever have a season in your life where you found your significance in your work rather than your significance in Christ? Uh, yeah, Wes, let me, uh, let me just kind of lay a little bit of a foundation. Uh, after I got married, my wife and I actually lived in a remodeled chicken coop. We didn't have anything. So she I mean, married you for your money. For my look, my looks. <laughs> <laughs> she married me for my looks. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, so we just really didn't have anything. Uh, I went off to school uh, for five years, came back to Memphis, and was just really floundering. I didn't really know what I was going to do, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, we just didn't have anything. I began to have start the family, had, had two kids, and uh, – there was a guy that came to me and said, hey, look, how would you like to make some extra money? And at that time, if I could have made an extra two or $300 a month, I mean, it was just like being a millionaire to me. Uh, I figured it would just change my life. And it was in the investment business. So I thought, man, this is pretty cool. A guy like me, uh, you know, to be able to handle, you know, money, that's a pretty big deal. At least I thought it was. Uh, prestigious. You know, people kind of look at that. Wow, you know, this guy's in the investment business. That was the kind of attitude I had. And uh, so as I got into the business, uh, I was an independent contractor. So I was basically building my own business. And I could hire whoever I wanted to and build as big a, an organization as I wanted to build. And I did. I built, uh, I, I had, you know, upwards of 500 guys that were working for me at one time. And, uh, so the longer I was in it, the more money I wanted to make. And so that really became – I was a believer, but that became really the ultimate for me. To be able to – in my mind, I was thinking if I can provide better for my family, uh, if I could buy a bigger house, you know, if I could have better cars, have uh, – you know, be, be a slave to fashion just like everybody else. Uh, my kids look up to me. Thinking in my mind, the more money I could make, uh, 
uh, the higher I climbed the ladder, then the more my wife had even loved me. So uh, what I decided to do is set some goals, and I did. And I sat her down, and I said, this is how arrogant and how proud I was. I sat her down, and I took three months of a calendar. And I said, honey, I love you. I love you with all my heart. And I want you to pick out the days that you'd like to have me. And so I said, that means birthdays. That means holidays. Anything you want. And she did. And so I marked those out as hers. And I told her, I said, every other day's mine. Now, that's how arrogant I was, how proud. And it was because my my meaning and security, my self-worth, was in that job and making money. That was my goal. That was, I, that was all I thought about. I hired a guy that went out, and what would happen is he would, he would make a sale, and the company would advance money on that sale. And so he would make his money. I would make my money. So what he did was he went out and he went through his neighborhood and he offered his neighbor, said, I'll pay, I'll, I'll give you money if you'll give me money and I can write you up. They'll pay me and I'll pay you back. And he wrote a lot of bad business. And it all came back on me. He quit. I was thousands of dollars in debt. And the only way I could make any money was a security sale. And I made very little money on that. It got to the point where uh, we, we were behind on everything. We got behind on our house note. We got behind on our car note. Everything we owned, we were three and four months behind. I had life insurance, and so I thought, you know, and this is the way the devil works. I began to think, you know what, my family would probably be better off if I wasn't here. They wouldn't have to worry about this. And I would literally get up in the middle of the night and walk the floor and think, you know, if I just wasn't here. And so it was complete despair. I mean, I was at the end of my rope. I had no place that I could turn because really my redemption was in me. I was dependent on myself and what I did to work myself out of that hole. And so the Lord allowed me to dig a pretty deep hole. And so, yeah, there was a time when it was different than it is now. It's, it's interesting because there are stories of people putting their nose to the grindstone and just working harder and harder and harder and harder. And, and you know, and they, they build their own little kingdom and that's the model for success. And that's, you know, what the American dream tells us. If you, if you just, you know, work hard and believe in yourself and you, you know, do it with integrity, like you can, you can build your own kingdom. You yeah. can find your, you know, your own yeah. self-worth and significance redemption. Yeah. We don't ever hear stories like this. Mm-hmm. You know, rarely do people share the stories of, well, I did that yeah. and, and, and it wasn't that I was bad at it. Yeah, but it, it eventually imploded. I worked. Dave Ramsey's an example of a guy. Mm-hmm. He shares his, his story of you mm-hmm. know bankrupt and different things. But I worked all those days that are carved out on a, and I did it every every nine, every three months. I'd do that with my wife, and I worked those days. I worked and I worked hard. There were times when I wouldn't get home to one o'clock in the morning. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't a matter of work. It was a matter of. Why was I doing what I was doing? And I was doing it uh, because I was selfish and self-centered. I was doing it for myself, even though I tried to convince myself that I was doing it for my family. I think secondary I was, but it was I wanted that. I wanted to climb that ladder. I wanted to be at the top. 
uh, I wanted people to look at me like he is successful. And uh, it almost ruined me. Mike, I think it's very interesting that uh, we are getting the per- Christian perspective. I mean, as a believer, you still were enslaved. You were imprisoned to all of this work and what you thought love was for your family. Um, would you just uh, give our listeners, male or female, uh, just a warning? What what warning can you give uh, believers going down this road? Obviously, you don't want them to go to the despair of suicide, uh, but just all the years lost and uh, the fruitlessness and everything. Would you just just have a, a warning that uh, you can pass on to uh, our audience? Uh, that's that's a really that's a really good uh, uh, question there, Sonia. Uh, I was self deceived, and I think we get caught up in that. The culture, uh, a culture dictates to us who we are, and our self worth is in Christ and Christ alone. And so, what I would tell uh, I, I would tell people work. There's nothing wrong with work. You should work. You should work, and you shouldn't underwork. But priorities. Where are your priorities? I didn't have time to read my Bible. I didn't have time to pray like I needed to. I didn't have time to raise my kids the way I really wanted to. I did. I couldn't love my wife the way Christ wanted me to love my wife, because my God, my idol, was my work. And so I would just say prioritize, work hard, but uh, biblically, what are you doing uh, biblically with your life? Uh, that, would, that would probably be the biggest one. Mike, thank you for, for sharing that warning. Um, you know, it's been interesting hearing your story and uh, just how you have recounted the, the hard work that you did, how much of yourself you poured into your work. Um, it, it's interesting how, um, you know, we, a, a lot of times culturally speaking, we like to think of work in terms of passion. We talked about that in some of our previous episodes, how there's such a, uh, an emphasis placed on finding the work that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds from how you, how you kind of described your story, you were working with a passion, mm-hmm. but in kind of part two of this chapter, uh, Tim Keller talks about <clears throat> like how we define our passions, uh, that there are good passions and there are bad passions, passions that glorify the Lord in our work, passions that don't glorify the Lord in our work. Uh, and so I wonder if you could kind of talk a little bit now, now kind of in retrospect, um, kind of how your passion evolved in the work that you did, um, maybe in the course of, uh, you know, moving into those additional businesses that you formed through the years. Uh, once you had that realization that you were kind of guided by a passion for uh, success as the culture defined it, how did how did you kind of reframe your passion in such a way that it actually um, you know really served to glorify the Lord and, and seek the good of others? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I don't mind work. Uh, you know, my dad taught me how to work, and uh, I worked in a meat packing plant uh, years with him, so I, I learned how to work. But all my priorities are wrong. So I had a guy that uh, came to me from church. He was a vice president of a local uh, warehouse here in town. And I asked me if I'd be interested in starting a lumping service. We were pretty good friends and studied the Bible some together. 
And so I asked him what lumping was. He explained that to me that, you know, just basically was unloading freight. And so I went down there, met with him, and uh, I thought maybe I could put something together. So I did. But what I did this time that was different than the first time was uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And as I was digging my way out of that hole that uh, I'd put myself in, I promised the Lord that uh, regardless of whether I was ever successful or whether uh, I just went, you know, worked eight to five, whatever it was, I didn't care. All I wanted to do was glorify God in everything I did. I meant that. He He showed me that. He humbled me. And so uh, from my heart, I said, Lord, what, what, from the mundane of eating and drinking to the biggest thing you can possibly think of, I want to do all to the glory of God. And so my passion then became for others rather than myself. Uh, I fell in love with my employees. I love my clients. I love the people that I met. I wanted to honor the Lord in everything that I did. Uh, so what I did was uh, we started to build that business in the southeast. I drive everywhere I could go and started building that business. Then I said, I want to be the very best that I can be at this. I want to go to the top, but I want to do it in a, a different way. I don't want to do it for myself. I don't care anymore about me. I just want you to be glorified, Lord. And so in every aspect of that business, I would always go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether I'm eating or drinking or whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do all to the glory of God. There was a guy uh, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, that approached me. He was one of the managers. He was a logistics manager. He called me in his office. This is a big account. It's a million-dollar account. It's a big account. He called me in his office. He said, Mike, here's what I want you to do. When this certain load bumps the dock, I don't care what you charge them. You can charge them $1,000 if you want to, to unload that freight. And I said, I can't do that. I said, it's not, I mean, it's not right. I said, it's not worth $1,000. He said, well, if you don't, you're going to lose the account. And I said, well, uh, I can't do that. It's just not right. I'm going to, I'm going to treat that driver and that, that business like everybody else. And he said, well, you're going to lose the account. No, that's a big deal. A million dollar account was a big deal for us back then. So I told my brother who was helping me in the business, I told him about it. And he said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to lose the account because we're not going to do that. So I called a guy that I knew in, in corporate in Houston, and I told him, I said, look, I got a situation here that I really don't know what to do. I do know what to do, but, it, it, you know, I wanted to let you know what's going on. He said, don't worry about it. You just do what you, what you know is right. The next week, that guy, that guy that told me to charge, he lost his job. And they told me, if you had done what he told you to do, you would have lost that account. And so all the way through for the 20 years that we built that business, we, we did our best to put Christ first in everything we did. We never backed anything that, that was against the Bible or wasn't biblical. We, we loved the people. We wanted them to make good money. We, we paid them by the load, not by the hour. So my passion then became Christ in everything. Now, I know that sounds, you know, sort of, you know, but it's true. And so I learned we had good days, we had bad days. 
We competed all over the country. Some business we got, some we didn't. Some we ended up losing, some we kept. But we always tried to keep Christ first. Also, what I did was I wanted it to be a ministry, Noah. And so what we did was we hired stay-at-home moms. We hired uh, pastors' wives and missionary wives to enter data for us, and they were able to stay at home and do that. And so it became a ministry to us. We had about 30 or 40 of those ladies all over the country. Uh, so, yeah, so that was our passion was Christ. Wow, Mike. I mean, that's a that's a total mind shift mm-hmm. and a heart shift mm-hmm. that happened within you. What's cool is that the, the seeds for that were – planted in you mm-hmm. from the moment of your salvation mm-hmm. and, but those seeds you didn't you didn't allow those seeds to germinate in fertile soil in your own heart and in your own mind and it's almost like God God had to chop you down and mm-hmm. uh, scorch you uh, give you you know let you fail and mm-hmm. then uh, and then that shifted your perspective onto Christ and then that's when a true passion for the gospel for the Christ was cultivated in you and then it you know it carried forward in your business and so uh, that's that's what true passion is now in the, in the in the in the book here Tim Keller talks about this idea that Noah you introduced a minute ago uh, bad passions he also calls them counterfeit passions mm-hmm. And he references a book by Dorothy Sayers that is called Creed or Chaos. I have not read this book, so I I can't really speak a ton to it, but I can speak to what Tim Keller says about it. And in this book, she addresses the seven deadly sins. And there's one, he said, that is a huge misconception that you probably fell into in uh, in your first business endeavor, and they're perhaps from an outsider's perspective in, they could have uh, maybe th- thought that you did this in the second one, but it's not it's not the case at all. And this is the idea of sloth mm-hmm. being a, a seven deadly sin. Now, he said the confusion is, is we often define sloth as laziness, mm-hmm. but he says not really laziness, but it's a life driven by mere cost-benefit analysis mm-hmm. of what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. So you're driven by your own needs, your own comfort, your own interests. And the Greek word is asedia, and it's this uh, sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing for which it will die. That's mm-hmm. how that, that sin is kind of uh, – but it's the sin of an empty soul. Mm-hmm. And and he goes on to say this can be accompanied by high productivity. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the seventh deadly sin of being a sloth is not necessarily laziness. It's a lot about selfishness. Mm-hmm. And, then, and so that's who you were mm-hmm. in the first business. Mm-hmm. And but you worked hard in both. Mm-hmm. Okay. I worked just as hard in the second business as I did the first, if not harder. And the first business I was working for myself to uh, achieve success, to make more money. The second business I wasn't worried about that. I wasn't worried about how much business we got, how much money we made. I wanted Christ to be first. That was my ultimate goal in everything that we did. Praise the Lord for that. Our culture does not promote that whatsoever. Our cu- culture promotes a 
uh, as Tim Keller says, that there's no standard higher than choosing yourself. That's what the culture is trying to push on us constantly Mm -hmm. and in our own happiness. So be passionate for yourself rather than being passionate for a higher power Mm -hmm. and for others. And it's the opposite of what we're commanded to do in Romans 12, 1, which Tim Keller talks about, which is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. So Mm -hmm. like you were just saying, Mike, you know, you work just as hard, if not harder Mm -hmm. in that second business with your perspective shifted, your passion shifted. um, But you were working in such a way that you understood that your work was as a living sacrifice. You were presenting every part of your life and your work before the Lord Mm -hmm asking him to do with it what he would that's right not what you would that's right um and th- and think about that the the language of presenting your body as a living sacrifice that is costly mm-hmm. that's something that um you know often requires hard work and and discipline um you know crucifying the desires of the flesh and and your own personal passions and um i just man that that definition of sloth of uh, of asedia just Golly, that mm-hmm. last line, because there's nothing for which it will die. All right. You know, for the sake of the gospel, we are called to lay down our lives mm-hmm. daily after the pattern that Christ established for us. Yeah. Um, and it's just so cool, Mike, to see in your own story how just that shift in perspective, that shift in passion led you to more fully live out that Romans 12, one command to present our lives as a living sacrifice or to yeah. present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, we hired, uh, we hired, we hired, I had some of the greatest guys in the world that worked for me and women too. And I hired a lot of believers and I would tell them, look, you're going to be, you're going to be going like we, we would have a startup crew where we, maybe we'd send to Spokane, Washington from Memphis. I said, you're going to be with them a month. I expect you to talk with them about Christ. And so we, we did that. We won uh, a lot of our workers to Christ. We had one guy, we, it was Larry, and he limped. We called him Larry the Limping Lumper. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did he love that nickname? He loved did he it. embrace it? He loved it. Okay. Triple L. Triple Larry. L. Tell us about Larry the Limping Lumper. Larry, uh, Larry we've, he was a street lumper. And uh, he he would hawk trucks that would come in, and so I hired Larry, and uh, he said, "Well, I'm crippled. I can't I can't get loads." And I said, "I'll give you the loads if you'll come and go to work." Great guy, but he didn't know Christ, and we he was an alcoholic. We won Larry to the Lord. Uh, Larry, uh, the Lord changed him. Uh, he started serving the Lord. Um, yeah, just a great guy. Uh, we want another guy to the Lord. Uh, he, he said, he, he said, Mike, you know what I love? I said, what do you love, James? He said, I love to get home and, uh, sit down in my chair and take me a big old bottle of beer and lay it on my fat belly. <laughs> I said, James, that, that brings you a lot of pleasure. He said, I love doing that, Mike. I got real close to James, big guy, and we won James to, to the Lord. And uh, James was just like a brother to me. He died a couple of years ago. His uh, uh, daughter called me, first one called, and said, just want you to know my dad just went home to be with the Lord. Just want to thank you for that. And so uh, it's just the polar opposite of what we first tried to do in being self-centered versus what the Lord did uh, when we started the second business because I think he honored the fact that we wanted him to be first in everything we did. Mike, I can only uh, imagine how peaceful life turned 
uh, as you turned your passion to the Lord rather than to yourself. And, you know, you mentioned before we started recording that, you know, you'd, you'd stay up all night, you couldn't sleep and had health problems because of that. And um, I'd love for you to talk to our audience about the rest and the peace that you encountered after you switched your passions. I love that. Uh, I look at it like redemption. Even though I was a believer, the first business, I was trying to do everything in my own power, my own strength, and it was disastrous. The second go-round, uh, I leaned into Christ and Christ alone. I rested in Him. If it, we had a good day or a bad day, I, I just felt like He was always in control of everything that we did and everywhere we went. And so I was able then, regardless of – and we had a lot of problems, trust me uh, – but I was able to lay down at night and just say, Lord, this is yours, not mine. And you do with it whatever you want to do. And because of that, Sonia, it brought great peace to me that he was in total control of everything. I can remember I flew in. I, I hit the I hit the airport in Memphis from Orlando. I got a phone call from a vice president in Birmingham. He said, you need to get here right now. I was like, I just I just landed in Memphis. He said, "I don't care. You be here in the morning." I was like, "Oh man, Lord, what you, what's going on?" I got down there, and he just ripped me up one side and down the other because my men on the dock didn't have identification on, and I thought, "You had me come all the way down here for this," but the Lord had me go down there for that because then I was able to talk to my account manager and talk to him and let him know this is why we do what we do because there are people watching us and we we're, we were known as believers. And so I want to do everything they want us to do for a good testimony. So I was able to do that with a guy that wasn't even saved. Yeah. But yeah, great peace. This idea of, of rest, uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier, whenever you would sit Janet down yeah. and you'd say, hey, you, what days do you want in, the, in this quarter mm-hmm. uh, from me, high and mighty Mike? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. did, that, did that change? Were you able to find more rest and, and time with your wife and with your family? How, how did because you're still working hard as you've mm-hmm. already said, yeah. but uh, your family time, your family discipleship time, your marriage, how was it? How was all that strengthened when your passions changed? Yeah, you can only imagine the first go round. I was on pins and needles all the time. I mean, all the time because I was worried all the time, and so our relationship, you know, you know. We've been married 49 years, so you can just imagine we've been through everything together. Bless her heart. Yeah, I know. I know. She's the luckiest woman in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Still got a little bit of that pride, Uh, don't you, Mike? (laughs) I'll tell you how the Lord works. Janet, uh, as we were trying to dig our way out of that hole that I got us in, she got a job at Brother International as an office administrator. And when I started building a business, I told her, I said, I'd really like for you to quit work and uh, just help me. And so she said, okay, I will. And so she, what she did was she took advantage of the insurance that she had at Brother before she quit. And through that, she found out that she had breast cancer. And so that's the way the Lord works. 
Uh, and then she went to work with us and uh, in our office, and so we were together all the time. It was a great, it was a great ride. Mm. It was a super, super ride. Yeah. So rather than rejecting your family, you embraced your family yeah. in your work at the same yeah. time and together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's beautiful. Yeah. My yeah. daughter went to work for us, uh, so yeah, I was able to bring the family in. Uh, just a just a great ride. Yeah, we can just be so guilty of that. Of uh, even from a ministry perspective, I felt the the pressure of this recently, yeah. and it's why I'm really working hard to take my f- entire family on a mission trip with me yeah. in in March. Uh, just that I don't want to. I don't want my kids to ever think that my job, especially working for a church, like okay, that's what dad does. That's mm-hmm. what dad does. That's what dad does. And but you know, allowing them to understand the the value of work and what we do and why we're doing it, but also show them mm-hmm. that they are valuable by being able to put away work. That's so good. We we have to we have to show our spouses. We have to show our kids that yes, work is important. Our mm-hmm. dollars are important. We got to pay bills and mm-hmm. you know want to do this and that and give them clothes and everything. But uh, spending time with them mm-hmm. shows them, you know, Amen. that they they matter and they're valuable too. Which is why rest from our work is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Taking taking time off of our work mm-hmm. to have time with our family yeah. and with our spouses, uh, to because that's what Christ expects us to do. Mm-hmm. Christ's blood mm-hmm. was poured out for our spouses and for our children. That's right. And if He holds them in that kind of value. Uh, we need to hold them in that kind of value. Yeah. We need to be able to 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 this, you know, to rest. And so, yes, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is a a paradox where we die to ourselves mm-hmm. in order to pursue Christ. But then we also, as the book talks about, need to understand this: the power of deep rest, mm-hmm. rest in the Lord. We need to Sabbath, but also rest from our work endeavors in order to uh, to be with our. Our family and our friends and our loved ones and our church and fellowship, you know, on Sunday mornings and and um, and at other times during mm-hmm. vacations or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I love how you talk about uh, Sabbathing as something that enables you to be with your loved ones, to spend that time away from your work and and focused exclusively on the ones you love, your children, your spouse. Um, and on top of that, I love the way Tim Keller describes Sabbath as an act of trust. Mm-hmm. That it that shows the the watching world, and it shows those closest to your children who are impressionable and looking to you for an example of what it looks to work, what it looks like to work. Um, that the Lord is engaged in and through your efforts as you work, but there comes a certain point beyond which um, you you don't have the ability to achieve what the Lord Himself must achieve, mm-hmm. um, and it, it allows you to kind of sit back and trust the Lord to do the work that you're unable to do um, and to get rested, rejuvenated for uh, the work once you return to it. So um, it's a great, great opportunity to really model that for your children, just trusting in the Lord. And, you know, if we don't uh, actively pursue this Sabbath rest, don't you think that because, you know, we all – we all are going to have to choose, right? Are we going to live in our spirit? Are we, are we going to live in the spirit or are we going to live in our flesh? And that forcing Sabbath reorients our right worship to God. Like he is God. He has done all the work through Jesus for us. If we continue to work, then 
that seeps into it's it's like yeast, right? It it seeps into the all areas of our life, and you know, all of a sudden we we find ourselves working even for our salvation. Like we're just going to work for everything, and that that forced rest reminds us and forces us to weekly come to terms with who is God. It's not just about uh, working so hard as well. It's also a little bit about worry. As you mentioned, Sabbath, Tim Keller discusses this, the Sabbath, when we take a break, we're showing our trust in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is uh, rampant in our culture and in our hearts, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, is, is is worrying. Well, Jesus addresses this from a Sabbath standpoint in Matthew chapter 6. He mm-hmm. says, you know, don't worry, uh, you know, and he basically says uh, about tomorrow, and don't worry about all these things you have to get done. And, and then he points to the lilies of the field. He said, mm-hmm. you know, if the lilies of the field are adorned so beautiful and you are even more valuable to God than the lilies— He's going to take care of you, and so um, rest not only shows us, you know, that we trust the Lord, but it refreshes us and it allows us to go from that worry mm-hmm. and that workaholic mentality back to the peace that right. you've mentioned, Mike. Th- this peace and this rest, and be like, okay, I can put this down. So um, I, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit more about a, a different. Uh, season of rest, if mm-hmm. we can, uh, because you are now retired, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You're mm-hmm. retired. Uh, and it's something that uh, at that's part of the American dream, right? To be retired. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's something we all hope to, to get to a place in life. Mm-hmm. The American dream will tell you, once you're retired, go live in a golf community, get a golf cart, uh, mm-hmm. And now you're you've got all the money and the time, and you can just uh, you know now now's the time to really live for mm-hmm. you if you're physically able. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that's not the mentality we're supposed to have. So how do you now that you are in a, a season of rest mm-hmm. from work? Mm-hmm. How are you allowing the the gospel passion? What are you doing in your retirement? Yeah. You know, Mike, how, how are you furthering the kingdom? Because I know you're not. Uh, lazy, you're. What what are you doing in yeah. your retirement? What, what what should we shoot for? Yeah, I don't want to revert back to I did like the, my first business because I was living for myself, and to me the American dream says live to yourself, accumulate as much wealth as you possibly can, do all the traveling you possibly can. Look, uh, we're still in a race, you know, uh, and I want to finish well. I don't want to quit. Uh, I feel like the Lord uh, has allowed me to retire, retired seven years ago. And uh, my ambition now, my passion now, greater than it's ever been, is to get the gospel out. And whether that means that I go on mission trips, global mission trips, or we do things locally, or I'm sitting kneecap to kneecap with a young man trying to help them work their way through life, I mean, I feel like because of my life experience and the wisdom that I've gained many times from doing things wrong, that I can invest that in the next generation that's coming up. So uh, to me, the American dream is all cultural. It's not biblical. 
you're not going to find in the Word of God where it tells us to retire. The Levites retired when they were 50, but they didn't quit working. And so uh, that's the way I feel. I think that's biblical. And so now I can at home – I get to I, I get to watch my wife do her devotions in one room. I can see her from where I am while I'm doing my devotions in another. And then we have the time to come together and talk about what God's doing in our heart. And not only that, but we can minister together. We we now can open up our home like never before and have people in our home. I mean, we we can we can spend time with our neighbors where I couldn't spend time before because of the distractions. I got a neighbor across the street when he first moved in, I'd back out of the, the driveway, I'd wave at him and he would turn his back on me and walk off. And so I just, every time I backed out, I'd say, hey, neighbor, hey, neighbor. So finally he said, hey, neighbor. And so now this guy's like my best friend. And so I'm able to invest in my neighbors that way. And so I'm not ready to get 10 toes up. I don't think that's biblical. And so I'm loving life, Wes. I'm loving life. I, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving ministering. I love what God's doing. Uh, I don't even know what retirement is, brother. <laughs> As I became an elder, you guys are working me to death. <laughs> I just ask Rudy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No rest for the weary. Uh, speaking of rest and uh, weary, we can uh, kind of close out with Matthew 11, uh, where uh, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus' words, I think, can be very comforting and refreshing uh, to us. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. First of all, it's comforting to know we have a God that knows us, that understands us. As we've talked about in earlier podcast. he worked hard as a carpenter. He got splinters in his fingers, you know, all the stuff. And so we have a personal God that understands that we labor and heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, uh, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Mm. My, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. And so Jesus just tells us pretty much the, the perspective and the passion, and he models it for us. And in all of our endeavors we have in life, but certainly from a work standpoint. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's easy to know those verses. It's Mm -hmm. hard to lay Mm -hmm. our burdens on him. Mm -hmm. Sounds like uh, when you became a lumper, you you lumped your burdens and put in (laughs) one. You know, took it. Took to God, uh, uh, you know, in, to take you to that place, you yeah. know, and I'm thankful he did. Wes, that's a good place to wrap up our time together with Mike. Um, and I think that we would all agree that the number one takeaway uh, from this time together is we've got to heed this warning. Uh, scripture is full of warnings and it's discipleship. Mike is discipling us. He is saying, hey, this is where I was, even as a believer. Uh, I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to say your passions have got to be redirected and they have got to be on Christ. And so our listeners, ourselves, we're, we, we want to heed this good information and treat it as a, a moment of discipleship. 
Amen and praise the Lord. Well, Mike, we're so thankful you joined us here. Thankful for your insights and thankful for you who are out there listening and have been faithful listeners. We appreciate the encouragement we've received this season from the podcast and uh, we're just uh, glad you're joining us and we ask that you uh, continue to share the podcast and this is your last shot to email Noah any questions for uh, before we do a wrap-up episode uh, and then we'll uh, also we will dangle a carrot in front of your face about what we'll do next season. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.